have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us as we interact with your text. Thank you for everything good you've done in our lives and our doing. And we thank you for this good moment now where we get to look at your word that you've given to us and you get to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. Think about that. Sometimes what I do with these famous, important texts, because I had the privilege of growing up and hearing them all my life, I put them in the category, um, just in my, in my, I don't know what it is, intellectual laziness or boredom or just familiarity, I throw them in the category of something like in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue or, or something like that. Um, think of the impact. Pretend you've never heard it. Yesterday we had a man in our group who's just become a Christian. He goes, this is all new to me. <laughs> we said, on the one hand, we're jealous. On the other hand, we're not jealous. But Think about what you get to do. We get to hear a lot of these things and consider them for the very first time. And sometimes what I must do and you must do is to say, God, help me to hear these things as if I'm hearing it for the very, very first time. The Word became flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. James Boyce, who is... uh, I think my best friend going through John right now of, of, of several people who I visit and interact with through the writings and sermons they've left behind, uh, Boyce said this. He said, this was the great sentence for which the gospel of John was written. This was the great sentence for the, the, the book. You have to have a key passage in the book. This is it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Christmas, this is salvation, this is substitution, this is propitiation, this is redemption, this is forgiveness, this is mercy, this is grace, this is the good news, this is love, the love of God that visited his people, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Three points in the sermon this morning in these five verses. Three things to to, to hang our hats on and think about and and explore. 
three life-changing points for the non-believer who listens and understands and then acts on them. Five, recalibrating Bible verses for the Christian who's been zoning out in his or her walk with the Lord lately. Five verses to bring us back. Three points to think about. Those three points are, number one, God is present among us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first half of verse 14. Secondly, grace and truth characterize the person of Jesus Christ. That's the last part of verse 14. And then establishing that there's some, some, putting some meat on these bones is the third point about the one and only Jesus Christ being unique and how is his uniqueness applied to us. And that's in verses 15 through 18. So let's jump into the text and look at it. The Bible says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Greek translation, a good way, and maybe some of your translations say this, he pitched his tent, tabernacled among us is, is, a, is a good uh, translation. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, maybe dwelt disappears uh, in our mind. What does it mean to dwell among, to put your tent up among, to, to, to tabernacle with? Uh, think about that and pause on that. He didn't come to earth and do his earth stuff every day and then go back up to heaven that night for his sustenance and, and some R&R before he had to get up and the alarm went off in heaven. He had to come back down to earth and walk around and do whatever he was going to do and then go back up there. He came to live. Lived with us. Picture a campground of people getting along with each other. Some headed to the fishing hole. Some roasting their marshmallows, uh, pick up football games, uh, waiting in line for the portable showers and, and everything that happens at a campground. And you think about, about people living and, and, and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. thought about when I was uh, about nine or ten years old and dad taking us up to Minnesota, the land of the thousand lakes, and everybody catching fish and they're making their jokes about the only thing biting is the mosquitoes, but they're talking about fishing, and oh, me and my brothers are paying my, my little brother a nickel if, if he'll be the man in the middle, and, and we'll throw our Frisbee, and every time he touches it, we'll give him a penny, and it will inter intercept the football at the nickel. The only way we could get him to play with us because we were so much older, and so we had a, had a little foil there, and it was a cheap, cheap entertainment for us. Listen to the transistor radio with the Minnesota Twins games, which is what you do up there when you're in Minnesota if you're a baseball fan, and Harmon Killebrew, and, and uh, and Burt Blylevin and all those guys, or Rod Carew, not to be confused with Larry Carew, but Rod Carew. Um, and everybody's getting along. Got the hippies over there on the side, got my straight-laced uh, state trooper dad there, and, but they're all talking. It's a, it's a wonderful place to pitch your tent and just kind of live. Until <laughs> a little later at night. And the campfire song starts singing. It's the first time I'd ever heard this uh, song that I thought was dumb then, and I listened to it again, and it still is, but they're all, all the hippies are singing, blowing in the wind, and how many oceans does a dove have to sail before she can be free, and all that, and as a kid, I'm like, I don't understand this song. Well, tolerable. 
at about 11 o'clock at night when the neighbors start singing 100 bottles of beer on the wall, <laughs> waking us all up. <laughs> and we hear dad's grumbly voice going over to talk to him. We hear his deep voice. We hear their and we're all laying there. And we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Dad's going to win this one. And I think they got to about 67 bottles of beer on the wall, and they had to leave the rest because you're waking my six kids up. And all of a sudden, Camp Grounds is not as peaceful as it can be, uh, as it was. And, and you think about Jesus pitching his tent and living among us with all the good, the bad, the ugly, the good that he created, by the way, but the sin, but the, 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 the pushing up against each other. And Jesus entering the world and living like a human being like he is. He came to live with us, not in a five-star hotel either. But what did he say when people wanted to follow him? And, and he said, uh, uh, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his hand, his, his head. He said, are you willing to follow me? Can you, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And this coming to live on earth was no picnic, this pitching his tent, this tabernacling. Don't take it for granted, and maybe I can help with this in a way that helped me. Think about the tabernacle and the tabernacling among us, God's presence with us. And to think about that is to think about uh, what the verses that, that Don read this morning in the Old Testament about God occupying that tabernacle in the Old Testament. That last one in, in verse chapter 33, I think, of Exodus, where uh, there was the, the tabernacle and there was God's presence as they understood it as the children of Israel marched uh, after their freedom into the promised land. People of God were instructed to build a tabernacle while they were journeying through the desert. Uh, very specific instructions. This was going to be God's dwelling place. It had to be this uh, amount of length. It had to be a third of it here, two-thirds of it here. The bronze uh, labor had to be here. This had to be there. It was all the way that God prescribed it. God set the rules for how he would visit his people. Uh, we did a good study of this a few years ago uh, in a Bible study we had. We had a great book as we thought and considered all these elements of the tabernacle and how they pointed to Christ. I can direct you to that resource if you're interested in, in further study. But for this morning's sermon, just want to, uh, to, to consider six ways in which Jesus in the New Testament was the tabernacle of the Old Testament. The tabernacle as God prescribed it in the Old Testament, was the center of Israel's camp. Numbers 2.17, Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As they camp, so they shall set out each in position, standard by standard. And it talked about this in the midst of the camp, right there where God had the meeting place. It wasn't like he favored one tribe over the others, the larger, the more prominent. You'd think he'd, since Jesus was going to come from the tribe of Judah, maybe Judah gets to be a little closer in proximity and, and they get the, the, the first dibs. No, right in the center of the camp, all of God's people in the middle, 
that's where you went to offer your sacrifices. That's where you meant to, went to meet God. You think about Jesus, our tabernacle, as the center of all Christian encampment. If it's a true church, that true church is not talking about uh, this or that or, or whatever uh, thing in the world that distracts us. A church talks about Christ in the center. Christ is the object of worship. And we are right there with every other church that says Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And you think about the drawing and Christ being the center. That's one way in which Christ is the New Testament tabernacle. Second way, the tabernacle was the place where the law of Moses was preserved. Uh, remember Moses came down and, and he was so um, righteous indignation. He was, he was angry. He, he acted in anger. He slammed those tablets down and, and there was a second set of tablets that, uh, of the law that was there. And those tablets were preserved within that tabernacle. There was a preservation along with some other items that were there. And that's your job to study and see what all those things were. But for us this morning, understand that the tabernacle was the place where the law of Moses was preserved as represented by those, those uh, tablets. What do we know about Jesus as our tabernacle? Jesus preserved the law of Moses within himself. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He knew what was required. And he kept the law perfectly. He kept it without sin. He knew it. He kept it. John 8, 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I keep the law. Keep God's law, God is pleased. And God is pleased because Jesus always did that. Again, I just quoted it, but Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So the first two ways in which Jesus is our New Testament tabernacle, as he tabernacled among us is that he's the center of, of, of all Christian worship. It's all about the personal work of Christ. That's first. Secondly, he kept the law. He knew the law and kept the law. Third, the tabernacle was the dwelling place of the Lord, something known as Shekinah glory. People could see the glory of the Lord there, read uh, about what happened. Sometimes judgment went out from that tabernacle on the people. Uh, they could see that God was there. Now, they understood like we understood. Like if I said, the only place you can find God is in the church building. I remember uh, we were aghast as little kids down there in the basement in Oskaloosa, Iowa at Bethel Baptist Church. The preacher would say, uh, God, is, God is present here in this church. 
And well, we knew to just listen and accept that and, and, and comprehend that. And, and maybe we could ask a question. But some little visitor kid said, where is he? Is he behind that door? Is he behind that furnace? He, and we're like looking at each other like, man, our dad would nail us for that. Uh, disrespect, but this guy wasn't. He was trying to figure out, is God present here? Well, what they were trying to say, we know God is present in worship. We know there's something about when God calls his people together, there is a, a presence that's here that is a different kind of a presence. It's the real presence, just like he's present with you when you're driving to work uh, in a, in a tomorrow or the next day. But there is something about the meeting place and the dwelling place of God's people. That's why it's important to come to church. It's important to come to church and worship. There's something that God gives. And there was a tabernacle there, and they understood that God was present, but they saw that glory in, 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 in a way in that tabernacle, that what they called Shekinah glory. And what do we see about Jesus and his glory? Where in him, in him you see the glory of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter, um, uh, in, in verse 14, right here in this passage, we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father. Next, the tabernacle was the place of revelation where God met and spoke. Their connection with God. Go to the tabernacle. Uh, my professor, he, he said this, and, and I think about it. He said, if you want to get hit by a truck, what's the best way to do it? Go play in the highway. You say, my life is not right. I don't understand God. I'm drifting from God. I'm not a Christian, but I kind of want to be right with God. How do I? Well, then go to where God is. Go to Jesus. Hebrews 1, 2. In the last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he pointed, pointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God speaks through Jesus. Go to Jesus. Fifth, the tabernacle was the place where sacrifices were made. First thing people saw when they walked into that tabernacle was the brazen altar on which sacrifices burned continually. And there was always that object lesson, that going on. Who is our New Testament tabernacle? What do we see when we look at Jesus? We see him as, as the sacrifice on our behalf. Leviticus 17, 11. I'll quote it in the, the old King James. Um, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Then here, Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood, Jesus' death, Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, old uh, tabernacle, Jesus, our tabernacle, our New Testament tabernacle that the old pointed to. Jesus is the sacrifice that was made. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And he, he, the writer of Hebrews says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And you 
see Jesus as our New Testament tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. And finally, the tabernacle was the place where the people of God worshipped. Where do we worship? We worship the image of Christ, the image of Christ. That's our worship. Ephesians 2.18, for through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So we see, first of all, God dwelling among us. God living here. Secondly, see and understand that grace and truth belong to Jesus Christ. First grace, first truth. People look for it, they search for it, they claim to have it, or they claim that nobody has it. Grace and truth, we see that in him. What does it say? The word became flesh, dwelt among us, we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is grace? Um, A good definition of grace is unmerited favor of God to humanity. You want to just say grace is unmerited favor. Different than mercy. Uh, One is when we get what we don't deserve. One is when we don't get what we do deserve. If you're a Christian, you've received both mercy and grace. You've not been given what you do deserve. You've been given mercy. And you've been given what you don't deserve. Grace. The interesting thing about grace and the expansion on that, grace is unmerited favor of God to humanity. But to expand that definition, once we get that one down and we start to think about the Bible more, it was to those of us who were not only unsuspecting, but also who were undeserving. It's when we get something that we don't deserve. It's so, so undeserving, so almost hostile, actually hostile. Took a group, my last event ever as a youth pastor, way back when, way back when, to head to Delaware. Youth pastor days are done. Went to a place called Jasland, which is now Six Flags, I think, where the hurricane came through and tore it all up and they rebuilt it. But it was called Jazzland. And I said to those kids before we went in, I said, I'm going to, I said, this is my last event with you guys. <laughs> I'm going to match you ride for ride. There's nothing any of you will ride or do that I will not do. And I bungee jumped that day. <laughs> and uh, I won't do it again, but I did it that day. Um, we did all of that stuff. We had a whole group of kids there. We had adults. Uh, we had enough adults to handle the kids. Our that old mean old pastor Finley that trained me, we, he made it. A, it had to be at least one adult for every six kids or, or you didn't go on any events. At least one to six ratio. That's a good, wise rule of thumb. Um, so we went. And, and to get the adult chaperones to come along, we paid their way. We, we had a couple of kids that needed some help. You know, every, everybody needs some scholarship help every now and then. And so doing the math and all that, and then a couple kids backed out. We bought them ahead of time. And if you bought X amount of tickets, you, you got a couple of freebies. And we got there, and I ended up with all the kids inside the gate, all the adults inside the gate. I had two free tickets extra in my hand. And I said, I can't let these go to waste. So I walked back out to where the people were, and I just saw a family. I said, hey, would you like these two tickets? And the guy looked at me like I was, you know, used car salesman or something. He was, he was suspicious of us. And I had to convince him, you take these things. And I had a criteria. 
I was looking out for families with young kids. Um, I had a, had a, a criteria. But, you know, God, uh, in his grace, gives something free that we don't have to pay for. But listen, if that family had seen us walking in, maybe some kid has a pro-life T-shirt on, or maybe he recognizes us as Christians and they start to mock us and harass us, um, I think I'm not giving to that family. I think I'm finding another family that, that, that's not. Think about God giving you what he gave you for free for you. Great cost for him. And you, all the while, taunting and rebelling and not liking. And, and, and you think about reluctant converts, as somebody called himself, or most reluctant converts. Uh, people are hostile to God. And God saves them and gives grace. We saw his glory. He's full of grace. Uh, a good way to, 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 to expand as you think about God's grace. Um, somebody gave a little acronym, and this helps us. We know that there's deeper. We go deeper as we learn more about the scriptures and all that. But, but think about grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good starting point for us. God's riches at Christ's expense. There was a cost. But it was grace and it was free. It was unmerited favor toward people who were hostile to him. You. Something else about grace. Uh, we, we talk, when we, when we uh, look at the Bible, we see, well, God's kind of good to a lot of people. Even the non-believers, we call that common grace. There's a scripture verse that says, talks about that. It says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and rain being a good thing. Uh, God has common grace. And God is kind by, uh, by giving people uh, the ability to breathe. We all got what we deserved instantly. Uh, we wouldn't have uh, even the, the nicest little pleasures that, that, that God gives us, believing or not. But the grace that I wish and hope for for you and that I'm glad was given to me is what we call the saving grace, the knowledge of who Jesus is, the, uh, the knowledge of who we are, this, repentance, putting your trust in Jesus. And we saw his glory. He tabernacled among us. We saw his glory full of grace and full of truth. Um, there is such a thing as truth. They actually can be found in your faith. It's not my truth or versus your truth or this is true for me. Or I'm just going to tell you my version of the truth or everybody's got their version of the truth. That's true that everybody has their version of the truth. But there's one truth. 24 times in John's writings between uh, John, Revelation, and, and, and the, the, the three epistles in the back, 24 times he uses the word truth, almost all of them in relation to the character of God. Uh, you want to find truth? You go look for God. Whatever is closest to God, whatever is closest to God's word, that's truth. There's a Bible verse that says, I had a pastor one time, and whenever he would finish the uh, reading of the, of the scriptures, it seemed like he said, let God be true and every man a liar, scripture verse. And that's true. God is the truth. The Bible is the truth. Jesus uh, spoke of all three members of the Trinity. And he, he described Father, Son, and Spirit uh, uh, in, in separate times as being the bearers, the arbiters of truth. First of all, he said about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
I'm the truth, he said about himself. Called the Holy Spirit three different occasions in, in John, in John's gospel alone. Called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. That's in 14, 17, 15, 26, and 16, 13. The Spirit of Truth. And then he's talking about God the Father. He's talking about the Word of God and the trusting God. And he says the Word of God is truth. That's in 17, 17. Now, my old buddy Boyce, about 40 years ago, and see if it's not even more true today that we're talking about truth. He was talking about even in gospel preaching, evangelical uh, circles, our, our group that, that, that believes the Bible is the truth. And he said this, he said, we've got to fight for truth even now. And here's a quote. For today, even in the books on theology, we are presented with the idea that Christian doctrine is not so much true as it is helpful. And the conclusion is that you can take it or leave it, sift it or drop it, all according to its practical value to you personally. And he said, this is diabolical. It is not the philosophical basis of Christianity. Yes, it is true. Uh, the truth is helpful, even if it's a little painful at first uh, to admit uh, that you cannot save yourself, that what you are doing is sinful, that the people you love are engaged in practices that are opposite of Scripture and God's truth. But in the end, uh, you don't say, well, this isn't so practical and helpful today in today's world, so we'll just push that to the side because we just want to be helpful and practical. No, we start with the truth and we find out that God's truth is practical and helpful. And it will really be practical and helpful on the last day. Truth about God. Truth about man. Truth about the afterlife. Truth about the atonement. Uh, uh, where do we go? We have to go to one place. And that's the word of God. And Jesus Christ. Bible describing him as the word. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory full of grace, full of truth. And finally, consider the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the one and only. Um, verses 15 through 18. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So you see the word only in this text. Only is in verse 14 as the only son from the Father. And then in verse 18, only again. Uh, as the only God. Talking about the uniqueness, the one and only, the one of a kind. Uh, you might say to somebody, when they made you, they broke the mold. You say that sometimes about people. Well, uh, maybe so, but you know what? You live long enough and you interact with people enough and you can find people at least, and here's another phrase that, that I like, cut from the same cloth. And there's not a, a, a uniqueness among us uh, 
there's ways in which we're all different, but there's ways in which we're all the same. But Jesus Christ, this word only, this word unique, one of a kind, the one and only, no one could do what Jesus did. Fully human and yet unique among us. Four areas where he's unique in this text. One is in his pre-existence. Um, verse 15, John the Baptist said, he is before me. He was here before me. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. You see the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. You didn't pre-exist. You were conceived. A couple of weeks later, there's a heartbeat. You have some brain activity. You start to, to develop. You're wiggling your little uh, fingers and toes. You're hearing your moms and dads' voices and people out there. Uh, but when you, when you came into being, there was you. You had a beginning. Jesus is unique among all the people who have lived on this earth, who've been born on this earth, and yet he pre-existed. John 8, 58, boy, they got mad at him. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then this was something that either, either I've gotten old and forgotten it or I've never heard it. But this, this, was, this was interesting this week to, to, to consider this again as if for the first time, maybe for the first time. But uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, you, you remember the famous sermons on that? Joel had one that kind of, it's a holy, 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 and you see the angel. You see all of this holiness of God talking uh, in heaven. And then here's John chapter 12 that we will get to. Isaiah said these things, and he's, talking in, in, in John 12, and he's quoting all this Isaiah stuff, and he said, he said these things because he saw, John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. He is preexistent. Uh, that never happened before, never happened since of all the people who've ever lived. And then, of course, there's Philippians 2, the classic passage. This is your first go-to. God in heaven, God coming to earth. God going back to heaven, pre-existence of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't want to just go Jesus, 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 Jesus is the mantra, and if you feel really good about Jesus, then you're okay. What about Jesus? He's unique. He's tabernacled among us. He's again, God met us, but he's unique in that he was pre-existent. What else about him? He is the source of all blessing. And this was the reason I titled this sermon this way, and then, then, then the rest of it kind of, swallowed up that phrase, grace upon grace. But you see Jesus as the source of every blessing. Probably should have sung Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing uh, this morning because the fount of every blessing is Jesus. No other human being can make that known, but they are the source of, of all grace upon grace. Um, from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. One blessing after another. We've already spoken about common grace. What's another way that Jesus uniquely uh, blesses you, gives to you? I would say every time that you say, wait a minute, I've been blessed. I, I kind of elide the name 
I might have taken the guy takes Christ's name in vain just because I'm wearing the name Christian and I'm acting like a non-Christian. And you go to, to God and you say, please forgive me. What a blessing. What a grace. Grace upon grace every time. Uh, don't you sometimes not like this part of the service where we confess our personal sins? For various reasons, but one reason is I hate to keep coming back with the same kind of thing. And a grace upon grace, a forgiveness, a God's riches at Christ's expense is the daily forgiveness that we receive. I hate that she did that. Boy, I love her. Jesus' death paid for those sins. And there's a 70 times 7 uh, that comes into play. Another way that, and that's unique to that's unique to Jesus. Leviticus 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The daily walk with God. Grace upon grace. Blessing upon blessing. You don't get to pick what day you're going to live and walk with God and Pray to God and God's going to listen. Every single day, Christian, every day. Grace upon grace, he's unique in that he is the source of all blessing. Third is the source of grace and truth contrasted with the law of Moses. So we see uh, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth, but then we see him giving and imparting grace and truth. In the law, God demands righteousness. In grace, God gives righteousness. In the law, righteousness is based on Moses and on good works. And with grace, it's based on Christ and his perfect character. The law is powerless to secure righteousness and life for us sinners. Uh, but grace is free. God's riches for us, for you, for me, and Christ the same. And then we see Jesus' uniqueness as the only one in whom anyone may see God. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side, who has made him known. Jesus said, you see me, you see the Father. One way to get to God. I used to say this as I made a quick question to you, to your kids who are listening and all that stuff. I'd say, there are many ways that you can access God. See? <laughs> I think we just said heresy there. And I would qualify it. I'd say there's one way to be right with God, and that's through Christ. All of us have a testimony, and there's a way that none of us have, have come to God except through Christ. Some of us were introduced to Christ at an early age. Some of us had, had somebody singing Jesus loves me to us while they were rocking us to sleep. Other people where we went and we had this leak, and God said, I'm going to get you. And, and God saved us in the midst of, of something terrible. Other people have been blessed, and they say, man, I don't deserve this. There must be a God somewhere. And they do the exploring. But Christ is the only way to be right with God. Uh, we all have a, a Christian testimony, a story what, of what we have. It's fun to be mixed up with a group of people uh, who, who have different stories about it. But 
only way, the one common denominator that each of us have, the one common denominator is because of the uniqueness of Christ, we have been made right with God through Jesus Christ, and that's his uniqueness. What do we what do we do with this? Um, oh, the Holy Spirit's working and preparing the church and making it. Um, we can do that here. But I would just say this. Your Christianity anymore cannot be just cultural. It is not a comfortable cultural place where we can just be Sunday go to meet and Christians anymore are here. And you have got to say, what makes me a Christian is, 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 is my relationship with God through Christ. And it's more important, uh, it's always been important, I hate to say more important than ever, but it just seems like in this culture, uh, you're going to have to more and more realize and, and, and visit your relationship with God through Christ uh, each day you wake up. Uh, it's just critical that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and what Jesus came to do. It's a privilege to be a Christian. Paul, uh, you have uh, some insight that other people don't have. You see God because Jesus showed you God. You have forgiveness and you don't have to carry around that weight of guilt uh, because you have relationship with God through the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. I thought about this and my brain was developing and I'm thinking about, about it. Um, so many of us, here's where we close, so many of us can still look back in our lives at the people who've hurt us and we can carry a grudge and we can think about past and this person did this and this person blocked me here and this person ridiculed me there and that might have made me do this and we have these things in the past um, one wonderful advantage of being a Christian is that you can look at that with different eyes and you can look back and, and, and maybe it's even a parent or somebody that, that, that you should have trusted the most that hurt you the most um, you can look at that and you can say, wait a minute, I've been saved and I've been forgiven. Jesus, in your uniqueness, you coming down and dwelling among us, I can look at my relationship with you and I can look back at that person there and I can say, wait a minute, that person there, uh, either they didn't know you and they are, they are um, on their way or perhaps already unless something changed that I didn't know about it in an eternity without Christ in hell. And why am I going to make my life be focused on them back there? Or maybe they've become a believer. Or maybe they were a believer. Christians can hurt people, each other. Christian husbands and Christian wives can do it to each other. Terrible. There can be a forgiveness and something there because we know where we're headed as Christians. And, and, and there'll be a, a time in heaven where, where, where we look back, if, if we even look back, and say, that's so inconsequential. 
the time I'm giving it right now. Um, your life matters. Your new life in Christ matters. You get to live for Christ. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. Part of that is taking our sin upon himself and being a sacrifice for us. Again, it's just a germ of a thought and an idea, but we've got to, to let go of, of those people and those things that have hurt us. And when he's forgiven much, he can forgive. Um, let's, let's, let's close. That's not, I know that's not a solid, it wasn't the solid, solid close that I had written down, but as I'm thinking about it and just thinking we have got to, Stop holding our grudges against these human beings. Let it go. Let the time our Lord Jesus Christ be able to offer forgiveness, be able to make excuses for them as sinful people. Pray for their salvation if they're not believers. Pray for reconciliation that works so well if they are. Because it's coming in the resurrection and we'll go get it back right. The only reason we can have a conversation like this is to stay saved once the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that unique moment when God took on flesh. We thank you for that time in our lives when we saw our need of a Savior. And when you gave us the gift of repentance. And you showed us where to put our only hope and trust and that's in Jesus. Thank you for your wisdom for not just taking us straight to heaven as soon as we got saved but for for allowing us to live here and be part of, of telling people about you. For everything you've got for us here to be able to give you glory here just as we surely will and automatically will in heaven when we praise you. Lord help us here on earth as we live. We pray for our little tiny church in Danbury. We pray that you will help us to be a loving, receiving, welcoming, um, godly church that tells the truth, that speaks the truth in love no matter what the cost. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen.